Welcome to Blockchain Inside. The podcast is co-produced by Purdue Blockchain Lab and CastBox. Our vision is to connect everyone in the blockchain industry and explore the most up-to-date news. We hope that this podcast will be educational, easy to understand, and inspirational for all of our listeners. I'm Coach Colbertson, and I'm here today with Brent Trademan. Brent, go ahead and give us a few words about yourself. Hi, my name's Brent Trademan. I'm the uh, Chief Revenue Officer at a company called Bread, and uh, we are in the cryptocurrency space, and uh, good to have uh, you here today, and uh, looking forward to the conversation. That's awesome. Glad to have you, Brent. So, tell us a little bit about how you got started in on this whole cryptocurrency field. Yeah, so um, I came on board to the company about uh, middle of last year, right about the time uh, prior to crypto going uh, crazy at the end of this last year, 2017. Right um, but uh, I had watched a company called Bread Wallet uh, when I lived in San Francisco and uh, saw the company start with an iOS app and mm-hmm. was intrigued and uh, really was kind of turned off by Bitcoin and everything about it just because of everything I heard about it being used for nefarious activities and criminals and things like that. And I um, uh, had some conversations with uh, one of my friends and one of my brothers um, about the company, which uh, he was starting, and um, really just stopped everything I um, knew about money and finance and just completely changed my mind on everything and um, on a global perspective. So um, I was a little hesitant to start with crypto, but uh, now I'm what they call kind of over the edge and uh, all in. (laughs) Right on, right on. You know, Brent, it's really interesting that that a lot of blockchain and crypto companies are incorporating offshore. Why do you think that it's happening? What What are the benefits to all that? Yeah, so I guess, um, you know, I think people first off um, do that from the United States quite often. And it really doesn't make sense for a lot of people when your company is headquartered in the U.S. And, you know, you maybe make a subsidiary or wholly owned sub in the Caribbean or Europe or some obscure country that uh, some people have maybe never heard of. But um, Mm -hmm. really, it, it all goes back to, you know, what's best for the company. Um, I'll give you a quick example. We, uh, we originally were a uh, U.S.-based company, an LLC, and we had full intention to expatriating the company uh, after we had funding and, and when we had global investors um, to going to Switzerland, where um, if you guys have heard of you know Crypto Valley being kind of the center for uh, cryptocurrency type companies, um, hmm. we had had that plan originally. So I would just say it depends on kind of you know where where you know the the future of your company is going, what it should be, and where what your vision is for the company. But we have uh, investors from all over the world, and really for us, Switzerland was the best place to be for privacy laws, banking privacy laws, uh, anti money laundering, and KYC type laws, and and just um, the type of things that our investors and our customers uh, really were looking for. Uh, in a company are um, a best fit to be in Switzerland. So that's what really what we, uh, why we picked that. But if you're, you know, if you're looking to start a company and you're figuring out kind of what's best, it's where do you want to be in five to 10 years? What do your customers want? Um, mm-hmm. What's the best fit for uh, your, you know, where, where your business should be. And sometimes it does make sense, but sometimes it doesn't make sense. If you're, if you're making a wholly owned sub and, you know, the headquarters is in Delaware on paper, it just, it makes no sense to go offshore when, you know, everything reverts back to the mothership being in the U S. So, 
Um, I guess, you know, it, it comes down to um, what's best for the users, what's best for the investors in your company, and uh, where you're going to go long term. Yeah, right on. So, so you've talked about Switzerland. Are there any other countries that you might recommend for, block, for, uh, for blockchain offshoring? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Switzerland is just so receptive to um, getting, um, you know, crypto type companies. Um, one of the things we're, we're challenged, we're facing is that um, recruiting talent in that area has been a challenge. Oh, yeah. Um, so just, you know, it's you kind of are very competitive for the people that you're, you're searching for. So um, one of the things, you know, recently you've probably seen in the news, countries like Malta come online quite a bit. And when there's legislation and, and there's uh, political activists that are running the country that are very pro-blockchain and they're trying to mm-hmm. encourage development, um, encourage jobs, encourage uh, those types of companies to come on shore, it's very welcoming. So um, I just, I fear that some countries are, you know, putting regulation on without really doing their due diligence and that that might cause... Um, you know, there's a, a competitive nature of the market where, you know, you're going to go where you're welcomed. So there's some countries, um, Malta just came online recently with finance moving over there and the prime minister being very vocal on blockchain. Um, there's some other countries, you know, uh, most recently in the Caribbean, um, I think Antigua and Barbados and some countries like that, that are uh, very welcoming, open arms to have uh, new jobs created. People fly down, create companies, move their families, and oh, yeah. uh, create a new life. Not a bad place to live, too, probably. <laughs> right on. So, you know, with crypto, uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, that kind of freaks people out about decentralized banking and having a decentralized bank. So, how by using blockchain, how is that really different than having a traditional centralized bank? Yeah. So when when I first started with, uh, you know, Brad, I, I said, okay, what, what are we doing here? We're building a decentralized bank. So it's really the inverse. You have to think about everything you know of banking and flip it upside down. And what I mean by that is you give a bank your money. They, you know, you go back to them and say, I'd like my money um, and I need to use it. And, oh, you can go make money with my money, but when I need it, I need to drive over to an ATM or walk over somewhere, go get it, get in line and get my money back. Um, maybe they provide bill pay services or something like that, but really they're not, you're not allowed to make any money with your money. And it's very, you know, those days are kind of over some countries. It's actually the opposite where you actually charge you for bank accounts, like in Germany and Japan. Um, and in Switzerland, if you have a certain number of dollars. So yeah. one of the things that, you know, you think about the inverse of that is, all right, instead of the bank holding my money and having assets under management, uh, the opposite of that is you hold your money. So what a novel concept where you actually (laughs) manage your money and you choose where you want to use that money to make you money. So I think that'll be a massive push into decentralized banking is the, um, you know, you get loyalty rewards, credit card points and things like that now, which are pennies on the dollar. Um, And when you see banks that are, you know, the highest GDP in this country, in the United States are um, banks and, you know, they control 50% of our GDP. It's just, it's incredible. They own credit markets, they own um, loans and in setting those rates with the fed. Um, I'm not going to say those are going to go away because that's a massive market, but I think the consumer piece of that just doesn't make sense anymore. And if you're not getting good customer service and you're not, you know, you're paying fees and it's really sad when some of the poorest people are paying all the fees, by the way, um, it really just, it doesn't make sense for a lot of people. So, uh, 
the inverse of that is decentralized banking where you actually control your money. Uh, you are uh, in charge of moving that money around. You're in charge of picking which financial products and solutions and services you want to use to make money with your money. So the concept of decentralized banking, um, although it's kind of new, um, mm -hmm. I think it's going to take off quite a bit in the commercial side and the, and the user side when people start seeing that you can loan out your money, you can make money on your money, and really be in control of your finances. Wow, having everyone be their own bank. Now, this is pretty revolutionary thinking. How do you see the change affecting the entire banking system? Yeah, I think the, I mean, the banks are so strong right now and they're just, you know, too big to fail and they've got, you know, politicians on their side, which, you know, at the end of the day makes a very secure, uh, uh, stabilized uh, municipality in a lot of countries and a lot of states, you know, there's federal banks and there's state banks. So there's, those things are all good. And I think that's, that's great for society. I think the, the, what will happen is there will be a piece of that pie that'll, that'll be split up. And I think it's, you know, you take your checking account and what do you use it for today? You get it for bill pay. Maybe you get your direct deposit in there. You get cash out of the ATM. Maybe you have a loan, a, a car, a house. That's pretty much it these days, right? Um, so if you have that in your pocket on your sofa, why do you need to really go into a bank? And the banks are kind of turning into DMVs, right? Department of Motor Vehicles lately, if you've been in <laughs> some lately. It's, it's just not a great experience. And it's costly for the bank to have all these commercial out, you know, outlets. So what I think mm. is those will kind of disappear a little bit or not be on every block like they are today or five on one block. And I okay. think that, that'll turn into, it's in your pocket and you need to do what you need to do. You're going to do it mobile and you might never set foot in the bank unless you really have an issue or something needs to come up. But usually you'll, you'll just take care of your own stuff uh, on your own. I think they're going to lose some market share. They're going to lose some checking accounts. And when, when the incentives go back to the user, um, that'll mm. be a push that, you know, it'll take some time, but I think that'll be a push where people are going to go to these decentralized banks. Now with that, um, a lot of the ecosystem has to be built. The insurance, how you insure it, you know, the, the U.S. government only insures, you know, well, they will insure uh, checking accounts for U.S. banks up to $200,000, where that just, those types of things just haven't been built yet in the uh, blockchain ecosystem. There's a massive market for that, and there's opportunity for companies to be developed in that ecosystem, but it's going to take some time for that ecosystem to mature. But I think when you, when yeah. you sit around and you talk to your friends and there's a fear of missing out where all of a sudden your friends are making 5% on their checking account or 10% or whatever it is that banks make, um, you might get some heads turn and you might get some people trying it out for the first time. Hmm. Right on. So there's been a lot of talk also around these ICOs or initial coin offerings uh, where basically folks are fundraising, uh, you know, to basically get their crypto tokens uh, out and about. So can you still do an ICO if the software project is already in motion? Do you need to wait till it's done? Talk, talk to us a little bit about ICOs. Yeah, sure. So we, um, my company, I, we had an ICO in December of 2017. One of um, one of the more successful ones in the end of the year last year. Um, what we did was we focused specifically on utility of the token. Um, so, you know, we're thought of as thought leaders in this area where we actually had utility of the token because we had a company already established. And we had that company, you know, with agreements with Apple and Google where we had an app and we had people using the app and we had millions of customers. So what we did is, you know, we just said, hey, we're going to be the thought leaders here. We're not going to, we're not using this as a fundraising effort. We're using it as something our customers want to use within the app. It's a loyalty and reward system. 
you know, you can get premium services with the, with the token, but we had that um, during the token sale. And I think you're going to find a lot more companies moving forward. If you're going to do a utility token, um, you have to have a company, you have to have an established um, product that your users can actually use this token instantly. So for instance, you know, if you're a company like Amazon or Facebook and you've got millions of users, it really makes sense for them to have a token uh, so people can use that inside of their ecosystem. Uh, it just promotes loyalty, rewards. It has a lot of added benefits. Uh, so you don't have to go outside. You don't have to use credit cards. You don't have to use all these other mechanisms um, that are costly for the business and, and require a lot of upkeep. So that is what I kind of see as the future of it. And I think you just, you know, if you've seen current news in the past week or two, I think Air Asia is coming out with their own token, established company. Uh, they found a, a massive opportunity to have a utility token, kind of like miles with an airline. Those are sort of utility tokens, right? But you, they can't be traded with their friends as easy, but they can if you really try hard and, and fill out forms and do it, but it's a really easy way to do it. Um, and I think that you'll find that a lot of established companies are going to be doing token sales moving forward if you're going to do a utility token because mm -hmm. it just makes sense for their business and their users want it. So that's what I kind of see in, in, you know, in the future. Most companies that will do a utility token must have the company established and in place with users uh, when they do the token sale. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. So, Brett, as we bring this in on in for a landing, uh, how can we connect to you? And do you have any resources that our blockchain enthusiasts might really dig on? Yeah, absolutely. So, we, um, our website is uh, breadapp.com, bread like you're eating bread, app.com. Yep. And we have a Telegram channel that people are often in there talking about what's coming out new, getting on mailing lists, which you can do on our website or via Telegram. There's announcements going on. This week we have a really big release coming out uh, for Ethereum within our app and, and some uh, more really cool things coming in the next month. But if you're on our mailing list, you're in our Telegram channel, you're on our website, our blog, um, that's really the best way to connect with us. And we welcome feedback from our customers and anybody in the community that um, that have been giving us great ideas on what to do. Um, we welcome their ideas. Awesome. Yep. I'm going over there right now, actually. So, <laughs> Hey, Brent, thanks so much for hanging out with us. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for your insights. And it's been awesome. Great. It's been my pleasure. All right. Well, hey, thanks for following up with us today, Blockchain Inside. This podcast is co-produced by Purdue Blockchain Lab and CastBox. Please subscribe to our show on castbox.fm slash blockchain lab and leave a comment there if you have any questions. This has been Coach Colbertson. Have a great day.